Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome this morning. As as usual, I'm 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 doing like I feel like so many things early in the morning and also getting up and promoting the show again before we um we get go live on the air. So I want to thank everybody and our guests who I'm excited. This show is a little different. We have had a guest cover this topic. So when I was researching for the show, I said, wow, this is deja vu. I feel like we had a, a, a topic like this on before, which is is we could never cover this topic enough. There's so many people dealing with stress and anxiety they are losing things they've spent years working for. It, it can impact your marriage. It's actually one of the leading causes of divorce. It can impact your marriage. It can impact just even your emotions, your, your psyche, and you'll find out as you continue to listen to today's show what it is that I'm referring to. But this guest, she she shares some tips, things she's learned along the way that could help you to avoid a lot of a uh, lot of stress that could actually even take on physical symptoms and illnesses and there's a way to ways to avoid it so she's going to share some of those tips with us they go beyond the surface uh, this this is a topic that can have a deep and a lasting impact on you and your family but as i i start um i started doing this a couple of shows ago i just want to drop a thought into your 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 mind and today's thought is from steve jobs and it is your time is limited and here on this earth it actually is your time is limited don't waste it living someone else's life and actually it's the pursuit sometimes of trying to get other people's approval that can get us into the ditches that today's guest the topic she covers can help take you out of trying to impress other people. But, again, your time is limited. Don't waste it living someone else's life. And, again, that's from Steve Jobs. And I want to welcome all of you to this March the 11th, 2017, Off the Shelf. You are listening to the winning book radio show, Off the Shelf. Remember, remember, I don't I don't want to forget to remind you guys, this weekend is Daylight Savings Time. So I know here in Georgia it clicks in at 2 a.m., uh, I believe it's on uh, Sunday morning. So you want to be sure before you go to bed tonight to set your clock forward an hour. Remember, you spring forward an hour, fall back an hour. So this is daylight savings time, and it won't end until no, sometime in November. But you'll get, we'll get more daylight. We'll get more time to enjoy the sunshine, which is a good thing. But maybe you want to head to bed a, a little earlier because you're going to lose a, maybe lose an hour of sleep. So remember, Daylight savings time this weekend. Set your clock forward an hour before you head to bed tonight. And next I want to ask you guys, how good of a mystery sleuth are you? Are you good at fingering the person who's responsible for a murder mystery? Do you think you can figure out who done it in the, the murder mystery and love pour over me? And this is also a book, If You Value Relationships, and love, and 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 how long would you wait to experience a once in a lifetime uh, a romance with somebody that you were intended and designed to meet? How how long would you wait? You might be surprised what happens with Raymond and Brenda again in love over me. This relationship book also deals with a friendship relationships and a, a very complicated relationship between Raymond and his father who has untreated alcoholism. I really, really encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. It's in ebook and in print form. If you don't see it on a bookstore shelf, just ask the clerk, say, I'd like to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. Look, you can get an ebook for less than four dollars, like next to nothing. And it's almost three hundred pages. Again, Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. I hope you get a copy and let me know how you enjoy Love pour over me. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And our guest today is covering a topic I think, again, we covered once before. And I was as I was researching it, I just had so much deja vu feeling as I was uh, researching for today's show. But our special guest this morning is Dr. Lois Center Shabazz, 
And Lois Sinisabai, she is a personal finance counselor. At the at the start of hearing the word finance or money management, financial advisor, although you have to have your licenses to give out financial advice if you're advising people on shares to buy and sell and things like that. But a personal finance counselor and a public speaker, you don't know how many people are walking around in stress right now due to something that has to do with their finances. Some people go into bad relationships, actually, and stay in them because they think they don't have the money to make it on their own. So this is a really, really important topic. And Dr. Lois Sinner-Shabazz, she also teaches people how to budget, invest in their future, pay off student loans, and manage their personal and business cash flows, which is very important. She is the author of the Live Rich, Save Money book series, and there's several books in that series. You can check her out online even as you listen to her show here on Off the Shelf this morning. She's at MissFinancialSavvy.com, and it's spelled the way it sounds, and that's M-S-F-I-N-A-N-C-I-A-L-S-A-V-V-Y.com, and I'll spell it again, M S. M as in Mary, S as in Sam, F-I-N-A-N-C-I-A-L, S as in Sam, A-V-V-Y.com, MissFinancialSavvy.com. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Lois. Hi, Denise. How are you doing today? I am so blessed. I'm so blessed and, and happy to have you on here to talk about a topic. We know we've got um, people getting ready to get their income tax returns. Some already may have received their income tax returns. Um, and might the first thing to think to do is, how can I spend this money? <laughs> what can well, I do? Well, what you first, need to, you first need to do is think about that before you get the money and not after you get the money. Okay, Most people yes. ignore the money they've already spent, and they go and make bills instead of either one, paying off old bills, or just buying something cash. Uh, to, that's where we get this debt snowball, where people uh, are constantly, oh, I have an extra $2,000, I can go out and buy something for $5,000. Well, you're not buying it, you're making a bill. And so we got to get out of the bill mindset or making the bills. we got to get into, if you're ever going to, be comfortable with your life, with your finances, you have to get to the point where you're actually living off your money and not off huge debt payments. Of course, we're going to all have some debt, but the issue is how much debt can I afford? How much debt am I comfortable with? How much debt can I have if I get sick? How much debt can I have if I lose my home, it's all the if, 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 the what ifs. Not enough people ask the what ifs and run their lives by the what ifs. Sounds a little paranoid, but it's not because, just like you said, people stay in bad relationships because they don't have enough money. Mm-hmm. It's called planning ahead, and it's called depending on yourself first. One um, person I talked to, when I said everybody, when they get married, they should always have a job, the woman, as well as the man. I know that we have stay-at-home everything, but there are things you can do to make money staying at home. But you, should, you can also, if you, especially if you have children and relatives who can help you with them, get a job, uh, get your own finances, uh, save your own money, and then put money together and, and make financial decisions together. Keep debt low. That's a real uh, key right there is keeping le- debt low. But also uh, you mentioned um, staying in a bad relationship because of the money, and uh, a lot of people do that because they didn't plan ahead. They didn't concentrate as much on developing themselves, getting their own income, paying their own bills as they did, I'm going to find somebody else to do it for me. You know, there really is not a Prince Charming <laughs> Sure, a lot of no. us have good marriages. We have good husbands who make a lot of money, but you still have to do the well, what if? Yeah, and that's and where. Women, pardon? A lot of women, when they get divorced, um, 
that's when a lot of women go into a, sometimes a darn near poverty type state. Because exactly. Uh, the the percentages, no matter how you cut it, no matter how you study it, no matter who studies it, the percentage of divorced women in poverty is much higher than divorced men. And because women, when they get married, don't think they're going to get divorced. Oh, I'm not getting divorced. Oh, I have a wonderful husband. Yeah, okay, you should, of course you do. Everybody does, okay? We all got wonderful husbands. I have a wonderful husband, <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. But I made sure I was a dentist. That was my first trade. I practiced for 20 years. And one of the things that I made sure of, because I do practice what I preach, is I made sure that I paid off my student loans, paid off my credit card, got my dental practice going well, and then I got married. It took a little while, but then I got married. Then I was financially stable when I went into a marriage with a good person making good money, but I wasn't dependent. And so, and then I was able to um, start my personal finance business also, switched careers. Uh, that was because of, you know, a number of different things I started moving around, but I had options. And um, the one thing that women have to do is they have to be realistic about the divorce plus separation statistics. This, the, they sound a little lower than they actually are because, you know, they don't give statistics on separations or people who never got their divorce. And so uh, women need to be a little bit more, a lot more realistic about that so they don't end up in that poverty cycle. I mean, it's great to be a bubbling stay-at-home mom, <laughs> but you also have to be realistic about uh, taking care of yourself if um, something were to happen, you know, and I've had, you know, women tell me, well, we have life insurance if my husband dies or, uh, well, what if the premium lapses <laughs> or I have a great husband or, um, oh, I can always, you know, just jump out there and do something, but you haven't done anything for five years. Nobody's going to hire you. I was an employer, and the first thing I looked at was uh, when I hired girls is, you know, have you been working the last couple of years? Even if it was at McDonald's, I wanted them to have a job before I uh, considered them, even when they after they went to school to get dental assisting or dental hygiene. Still wanted them to have worked for a while as an employer. So mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> yes, you know what I want to. Um, you have so much to share, and um, I, I I really want people to grab this because money impacts. We can, oh my goodness, you know the money that's donated to scholarships and people who have money they uh, really build up their communities. I know when I lived in Knoxville. It was a gentleman, I don't remember his name, but Knoxville didn't used to have so much going on. It doesn't have a lot of arts there now, but it's a lot more than it used to be. There was a guy who was from the city, said, if I ever make it, I'm going to come back and help build this city up, and he did. The same is happening with Detroit. The guy who owns the Cleveland Cavaliers is from Detroit, and he's pumped a lot of money into the city. So when you when you manage your, your finances well, you can help others. Uh, Bill and Melinda Gates, the scholarships they give away. You can really help bless other people's lives tremendously when you manage money and you start to grow your wealth. Before we go further into uh, the questions, and there's so much to cover, we're not going to be able to get through everything in in one hour. But just for people who are not familiar with you, uh, Dr. Um, uh, Senator Shabazz, I know you, you, you said you were a dentist, but can you just tell our listeners where you grew up, just to give them some background on you, where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Well, um, I did not come from a privileged family. I uh, grew up in a working-class family. Uh, my dad worked in um, a field of construction, and my mom um she uh, was a seamstress. She stayed at home, but uh, she was a seamstress. And, but they were both big budgeters. They budgeted money, and um, they lived tight. Um, we did have a lot of kids <laughs> in our family, like nine to be exact. But And, and okay. she taught all the girls to sew and all the boys how to work. My, my dad taught the boys how to work on cars. So we were a um, very functional family with the money we had. 
and um, most of us went to college. Um, I went on scholarships and uh, a, a little loan, a small loan for college. At that time, college was very inexpensive. The University of California is where I went to college. And um, then I went on to dental school. That's sort of where my my uh, debt program came into play, my low and no debt program, because I went to a private school. When I went, uh, I went because um, they gave me a total that was like half of what it actually ended up being. They didn't tell me that the tuition could go up pretty drastically in a private school mm-hmm. while you're there. And so mm-hmm. I ended up with a lot more in student loans than I thought I would. I mean, it was like a nightmare when I got out, but I made every payment <laughs> because of my okay. debt. Pro- I was I was insistent on living a tight, tight, tight. I did mega money management from the time I got a dental school, and I prided myself on the fact that I made every payment and extra the payments, and I paid it all in uh, I, not a short amount of time, but a decent um, amount of time. I didn't let it go too far. And, of course, during the course of the time, sometimes I had to charge on credit cards. And then I would periodically run up credit card bills, but then I'd get those paid off because of my program. And then, of course, I, um, later I started um, a dental practice, after working for five years and paying down my student loans and my credit card bills and learning something about the trade from other dentists, I um, practically became a beggar to get a loan because business loans aren't easy to get. Now, of course, they're much harder. Um, dentistry is, is much more expensive to practice. I um, actually went to 13 banks. <laughs> a few of them just told wow. me to get out. I don't want to talk to you because I was – at 31, I looked like 18, you know, 20. I looked very young. For my, I've always looked young for my age. And so I finally found an older gentleman who was very kind, and he said um, after getting my, my packet, my uh, my business loan packet was so big by the time I got to him because everybody would tell me, well, what you need to do is this and that and that, you know, add this and add that. And so by the time I got it to him, it was pretty um, precise, and uh, I got the loan. And I started my practice, and I learned because I almost borrowed as much for my dental practice as I had in student loans. But at this, I learned how to pay off loans, so I paid it off in four years instead of uh, I. I ended up I borrowed about forty thousand for dental school. It took I. It was a payback of eighty thousand because there was a couple of high interest loans in there, and it took me about ten years. 10, 11, but my dental practice loan, it was 60000 with an 80000 payback, and it took me four years. I said, I'm getting this paid off. They yeah. said you could have as much as 10 years, and I said, no, uh-uh. I'm getting on with my life. I'm getting debt out of my life because yeah. it is like a boulder on your back, especially student loans since you cannot file bankruptcy on those. And those loan servicers just take you around, uh, walk you around loops. Student loans are probably one of the biggest and worst debacles right now in the life of the average American. Wow. You really have to know what, pardon? Because of how they're set up. They're set up for the lenders to make out. Right, right. They're 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 set up up to make money for the the institutions that give them to you, the the schools and the lenders, and they're set up to make the borrower very, very, very poor because of the the way the interest rates are structured, especially if you get an unsubsidized loan. People go to college or graduate school, and they don't even know the difference between a subsidized versus an unsubsidized loan. I had a young girl contact me, and she said, could you please help me? I borrowed $25,000 for graduate school. She didn't have to borrow anything for college. Her dad paid for it, but she said for graduate school, I borrowed twenty-five thousand, and they sent me another bill that says that we're adding thirty-five thousand dollars to your loan. And she told them, "You're crazy. The loan is twenty-five thousand. And they said, "No, it's going to be another thirty-five thousand because we had to apply interest while you were in graduate school." And she says, "You didn't make that clear to me." And they said, "Well, you're supposed to read the fine print." <laughs> so she ended up paying. Uh, her her balance ballooned from twenty five thousand to 
what, uh, fifty, sixty-five thousand, and the payments. They said, uh, told her her payments would be twelve hundred a month. She said, "You are absolutely out of your mind." She says, "I don't bring home twelve hundred a month. <laughs> what am I going to do? Live on the street, <laughs> panhandle, give you my my paycheck and panhandle for the rest?" But that's the, those are the types of situations these students are getting themselves into because they are not making it clear. Uh, under President Obama, he started a program where they could pay based on their income, but then it stretches right. out your loan more uh, to like 20, 25 years. Who wants to be paying on a student loan for 20, 25 years? Now, with her, when she negotiated with them, they negotiated down to 900, but she still couldn't um, afford that payment, which is, you know, you're right out of college. That's astronomical. And then... Um, so she could get the income-based repayment program, but that's for the federally insured loans. I mean, it, all these caveats. I mean, you just really, really got to read the fine print these days. But the best yeah. thing is if you absolutely – she had a degree. This is what I would have did if she would have come to me earlier. She had a degree. Get a job. Use your degree. You didn't have any loans. The goal is to not have student loans. Yeah. And um, – <clears throat> A lot of people go to the advertised schools. You see them advertised constantly on television. They call them the pro- mm-hmm. for-profit schools. There was a lot of negative publicity because um, a lot of them were sued because the kids were saying that they didn't get what they were promised, and then they try to get a job, and the employers were saying, right. well, we don't recognize those degrees. Well, now they're, yep. some of them are advertising that they suddenly became – they have suddenly become nonprofit, <laughs> but they're still the for-profit schools. They still have quick classes and huge student loans and – those student loans are really um, not explained. People are telling me they didn't explain to me. I mean, kids, girls were coming out of the one school that was sued. It was all over the Internet. She had $70,000 worth of student loans, and all the employers that she went to said, well, we don't recognize this school mm. for, empl- you know, for, em- for employee. We don't hire from that school, period. We don't recognize your degree. And so um, I can't stress enough, research, research, research. Don't make your decisions from propaganda, from advertising. Try to stick with your your public education, the public schools, uh, low-interest loans, small loans. Your, Your loan should be less than what you could make your first year out of school, of course, that's difficult. You know, how much money am I going to make? I mean, right. you might make twenty five thousand. Let, let's let's go. Let's lowball it, okay? And what does that mean? The maximum you should take out at a any school. Try to stick with the state schools, unless you're rich. I mean, if your parents are rich or you get a guaranteed full scholarship, it doesn't matter. But Right. Not very many students have that situation, period. Most students and, have to depend on student loans. And yeah, so, but if you, you get know, a federal if you get a federal loan, and then you do have to read them because you can get them from several different institutions. So you think you're getting a loan from one organization and you end up owing interest to five or six different lenders. But the, I will say the one good thing about a federal loan, they cap it. You, after a certain right, amount, they're, they're, right. they're, they're not going to give you any more money. They're not. They, you, it's not the sky is the limit, and then you're going to absolutely right. bury yourself. They cap it at a certain amount, and then you just don't get no more. And then you right. then you could go private if you wanted to. That is one good thing about going with a federal. You, they do put some type of protection in there. For so you don't just keep taking out one loan after the next, after the next, after the next. <laughs> there is but, some but protection. Then, but then the flip side of that, uh, Denise, is that, okay, they cap it, but this has happened to a lot of students. They run out of money for their sophomore, at the end of their sophomore or junior year. So where does that leave them? With no degree. Yeah. And they have student loans. And that's another reason why you absolutely have to have read the fine print. You, know, you need to know how much the school costs. I mean, sometimes it's hidden deep in the <laughs> it's hidden deep in the website, but you can find it. It's there all the costs 
Uh, private mm-hmm. schools, like I said, are a lot have a lot of hidden costs. They're they're a lot more money than public schools, but you have to know all your costs, and you have to know if the maximum of a federally subsidized loan. Of course, some people don't qualify for those because their parents' income is five hundred dollars too much. <laughs> I mean, I've heard right. people tell me that a thousand dollars too much, <laughs> and yeah. and that's the yearly income, so they have to jump out to unsubsidized loans. And you can, if you can find someone to pay that interest payment while you're in school, uh, that's fine. But a lot of people don't even know they have that option. They don't read enough to know that option. They just think, well, I just have federally insured loans. Well, that's the unsubsidized, okay, where you get those really crazy um, yep, yep. <laughs> loans and payments yep. <laughs> and uh, institutions. But you want to try to uh, stick uh, with the federally federally insured subsidized and make sure that you can pay off your education in four years and get your degree with that money. Or you can go to a family. I've helped like uh, three family members uh, with their education because my husband and I, we didn't want them to get into that uh, loan trap, what I call the school loan, student loan trap. Right. Or you might have to work part-time. I know some people who've worked part-time oh, taking yeah. some loans, but they also just you had to go they went out and got a gig and right. paid part of it with the with, with what they made from work and then the rest. But you do have to make sure the school is reputable that employers you can't look at ads on TV. It's tricky when you see an ad on TV, you you often think if it's something related to the Food or Drug Administration that the FDA's approved it or the FCC's approved it, and that's not always the case. So, but you can come away with that delusion that okay, it's ads on public TV, Aaron, in the middle of the day. It's this has got to be a good thing. <laughs> it, it exactly. May, it, 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 it may not be. Lois, I, 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 there's so many questions I want to get to. I wanted to ask you first. You started out yourself going to school. And you became a dentist, and you you said I'm gonna pay these loans off. But you're early in your career. Most most of us, no matter how much our parents might drum it into our heads, we think I'll I'll get this credit card, I'll do this, and somehow it'll magically work out. I think a lot of people handle finances like it, I'll go out and get these shoes, I'll get these new clothes, and my mortgage or my rent will just magically get paid. And people don't, exactly. I don't know where that comes from. It might be a carryover where we're not ready to be adults yet, and our parents just magically made things work, and we keep expecting that to happen, even though we're in our early twenties or or thirties. But all that shared, what? So you didn't fall into that trap. Was there a challenge that you faced, a financial challenge that you faced, that caused you to say? you know what, I'm going to become a personal finance counselor and help other people avoid this same thing. Well, um, living, trying to live a normal life and pay my student loans, it was tough. It was really tough, but I did it. And acquiring credit card debt, it was tough, but I paid them off. And so... Once everything was all cleared up, I started a long time ago after I got my dental practice studying uh, investing, uh, mutual funds, stocks, money management, because I needed to make money off my dental practice. It's not as easy as people think it is because they keep changing um, the reimbursement rates to dentists, the insurance companies. Um, We have our usual and customary fees. And that's the top fee you can um, charge a, a patient. But uh, the insurance companies will, uh, we have a lot of PPOs, uh, and they will um, decrease the payments and say, okay, you can't see our patients unless you see them for 70, 30 or 40% discount. So um, that made it tough. So I said, I was young. I was only like 35 when I started studying stocks and mutual funds, because I said, someday I want to retire, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to retire, and I don't Mm -hmm. have a job. I had a business. It's a big difference between a job and a business. You know, when you have a job, you have 
two weeks vacation pay, you have a 401k yes, plan, yes, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> but you mm-hmm. don't have that. You have a disability payment, but when you have your own business, you have to pay into disability. You have yes, to yes. get your own 401k type of plan. Yes. You have to save money. You have to save money for your own vacation. And so you have to either, uh, a lot of businesses, They I read over and over again, most businesses go bankrupt within the first year and an, another set uh, up to five years. And I'm yep. like, that's impossible. How could that happen? But once you do it, you see how easy it is because you really, mm-hmm. really, really have to be disciplined with money. And that's yep. where I started my quest. I said, I ah. am going to do this. I am going to be disciplined with money. I'm going to be successful at my business. My example was my parents. They didn't have a lot of money, but they did a lot with the money they had. And so I did have an example to fall back on. But even if you don't have that example, you can learn from others. Like I have mentees. I am a mentor for some uh, young people who have gotten themselves into some trouble. And um, um, at various stages, we've come together. I met them, but um, I try to – I I think they, they probably listen to me better than they listen to their parents. The worst thing to do is to grow up in a household where your parents spoil you because you lose mm-hmm. that sense of reality with money. Yes, and that's hard yes. to get back. As an adult, if you do it for years and years and years, just here, you can have whatever you want. You know, mommy and daddy will yes. buy you whatever you want because, you know, we make a lot of money and you'll always have a lot of money because, you know, we're sending you to school and you're used to money and like osmosis, you're going to learn how to manage it. That'll come, you know, and but it never comes. And so, but it yes. did come from me. That's where I got it from, and that's where I got my years of, of – once I got the money management thing, I, I knew I had to learn investing because I tried to use brokers. I'm sure there's really good financial advisors out there and, and brokers. You know, I call myself a money strategist, okay, and I help small business entrepreneurs, coaches, bloggers, and homemakers to create their money management program, and it includes my trio, and that came from years – of my experience of guerrilla budgeting is what I call it, sane savings. you got to have savings accounts. I have several, okay, and then investment insights. When I tell people, and that's because everything we use is a part of a publicly traded company, so you might as well get in on that. The easiest and uh, most efficient way to invest is through mutual funds, low-cost, low-risk mutual funds, So that, and that is where my expertise is, and that's what I teach people. But when I tell them that um, their savings is a part of, people say, oh, I budget, I budget, I budget. I'm like, okay, how much do you save every month? Save. I don't have any money to save. How much Mm. do you save? You don't save anything? Well, put your savings in your budget. Oh, I didn't think about that. I I guess I could have put some. I said, no, you can't. Take another look at your budget. I have several savings accounts in my, that come out of my budget. Automatic. I don't even look at it. They just comes right out of my budget into my um, investment accounts. You know what they say: pay yourself first. And you kind of led into a question that I wanted to ask you. I've worked at a consulting firm, and they they it's a, it's a global consulting firm. And what they found was that, and I recently saw an article where Americans have have more money than ever, but we're not saving and this has been a long standing issue i can remember when i worked at a financial services company they would go out and do free trainings these different companies because if if the individual american and american family isn't financially strong it, who the, the, these companies can have a ton of money but it's not enough to make the economy strong every individual every family has got to be financially solvent if possible Big businesses just can't have big pockets. Individuals and families have to to make a country economically strong. But they found that even people making 80000 a year, they said most Americans didn't even have $400 put away. And I found that, you know, somebody barely getting by, because some people work two and three jobs, but their jobs are minimum wage, and it just is not a lot of money. But when you make 80000 a year and you don't even have $400 saved, I found that mind-blowing. And they did too, the consulting firm. So that said, why is saving 
and this is something that's been going on for decades, way before the recession in, in the American economy. Uh, why is it why is it so difficult for Americans to save to save even five hundred dollars? It's not difficult. <laughs> they just don't choose not to do it. It's something that has not been ingrained in our society as a part of a normal part of our culture, saving money. What's been ingrained, who has control, what I say is who has control of the media controls your mind if you're not careful. And so people, uh, they adopt this I got a habit syndrome. <laughs> Once you can get rid of your I got a habit syndrome and I understand what I really need to do syndrome, then you can start saving. And so um, – but there, there are people that um, there are people who make eight hundred thousand a year and don't have any savings because instead of uh, when they when they start climbing up financially or income wise when they start climbing up instead of saying well okay I'm gonna get a really nice six hundred thousand dollar I mean with eight hundred thousand dollar income a six hundred thousand dollar house is just you can get a nice six hundred thousand dollar house. In most communities, not the really expensive community, not not the real high income communities on the West Coast, but there are still communities where you can get a really nice house. But instead of that, they go well. Um, they go to a mortgage broker, <laughs> and the mortgage broker goes, "Wow, you have an eight hundred thousand dollar income. You can afford a hmm. Let's get yeah. you a two million dollar house. And uh, I don't know how much you have uh, saved." Uh, but we can we can squeak out. We we we'll, don't worry. We'll get you the down payment. And instead of them saying you don't control my finances, I control my finances. Instead, they go, Oh, really? I can afford a two million dollar house? Yes, you can afford a two million dollar house. They don't ask. Well, how many other bills do you have? Uh, do you have anything coming up? Uh, is there anything you're trying to plan for in the future? They just tell you, this is what you can afford right now, and I want to get that commission, so I want you to get this $2 million house. And so um, uh, we have to realize that we make our financial decisions. Yes. Mortgage don't, uh, real estate agents don't make our financial decisions. Mortgage brokers don't make our financial decisions. And car salesmen don't make our financial decisions. We make our decisions, and once we become conscious, conscious of how easy it is to get into that debt trap, we can work our way out of debt and then include savings and understand that savings is extremely important because of the what-ifs. Yes, yes, okay. and, and, having, and having good insurance. Uh, as well, the, the types of insurance that that you would need. It's amazing to me right. that some people don't have life insurance, and this is something nobody's staying here forever. And you, you want to leave your family with a mountain of debt when you're gone? Right. Oh my God! It's they're just. I, it's. I think it's mind blowing. It's and and we have magical thinking. That, that that it's just going to happen. It's just going to work out. No, it's not just going to work out. <laughs> no. Yes. You have to work it out. Yes. Oh, I've Can met professional share? people that let their car insurance lapse, and and they had an accident. Oh. Or they went to the hospital to get cancer treatment, and they had no insurance. And oh. they thought, well... If it cost that much money, they wouldn't have sat me down there and signed me up and let me go in there and get that chemo, and then they get a big bill in the mail. <laughs> They're like, what? <laughs> Why didn't they tell me this before they treated me? Oh, well, you yeah. had the oh affordable care. <laughs> you could have gotten most of that paid for. Now yes, we do. Uh, hopefully, yeah, it may not be around very much longer, but you know, anybody who has the Affordable Care Act better go to the doctor hospital right now because I just heard right. them talking about it. And... Um, a man came on television who, a, a man that came on television who is one of the, the top officials in the government was saying that people aren't using it because the deductibles and copayments are too high, and that's simply not true. Because I know lots and lots of people who use it, yes. and deductibles are not deductibles are not applied to 
um, office visits or um, preventive care like colonoscopies and mammograms. So people are using it, and they can use it. And the copayments are not that high that you can't go to the doctor. And, and it was really funny because he said the doctors are saying that there's lots of patients coming in here uh, to the doctor, and they're not, com- they're not using their insurance because their copayments are too high. <laughs> he just, he just loves no, it. That doesn't even make sense. So, okay, he, he so I'm not going to lie on himself. Just, I'm just going to pay the whole bill myself. Right, right. Come on. <laughs> right. That, that right. Is, I'm going to pay your $250 one uh, office on. visit because. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. I, right. If I could save, if I could save a hundred dollars, I'm not going to do that because the deductible is too high. So I'm just going to give you a thousand straight out. No, right. no, that doesn't make sense. Let's back that up a little bit. That's just not even basic math. That doesn't make sense. Can you share a few tips, Lois, with us? Uh, that can you share a few tips that you have in your book? Sixty-eight powerful ways to save money and and even before if if you could just touch a little bit on uh I know you have a theory about money debt and budgeting but if you could just touch a little bit on you did a little bit we receive so much marketing loads and psychology is at work at all times and marketers know psychology they study it they know it they know the colors the scents the sounds they know the images to put in front of us. We can listen to a Dr. Lois Center Shabazz talk and think we're ready, but we get pummeled with these messages in email, and we get the coupons, we get the videos, we get the television, we get the radio. When we go out, we see billboards everywhere. It's hard not to give into it sometime, but can you share some of those tips you share in your book and then also offer some suggestions when we're just pummeled with marketing. How do you stay focused on, on saving? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to develop the awareness, the conscious, what I call the conscious mindset. And that comes from going in the opposite direction, like reading my books, the Live Rich, Save Money series. Because once I find that people have the awareness, they can start filtering out all that got-to-have-it information. Get this, get this, buy this, buy that. And my mantra is, before you buy anything, this is what you say. Do I need this? Do I want this? Will I use this? And will it last? And then you ask yourself, how much stuff do I have that I don't use? How much stuff do I buy that I didn't want? After I got it, I'm like, I don't want that. (laughs) How much stuff have I bought that didn't last? And how much stuff have I bought that I just did not need? And I felt bad after I got it. So once you develop that affirmation, put it in your mind, You say it over and over again. You use it before you even, uh, when people have a really bad spending addiction, I tell them just to stay out of the stores and away from the stores until Mm. you learn how to walk through a store. You always have to know it has to be in your budget. And you should always use cash. Have your cash envelope for things that you just want to buy until you get used to the fact that, you know, you don't have to buy what you don't need or you don't develop all this I want to have. it. I mean, if you want a, a bike, save up the money and do your research online. One thing about buying these days is that you can go online and you could look at websites that show you a different price for an item in 20 different places, and you can order it right there. Um, I like the Internet, but... I also like to see things when I go to the store, but you can also find the prices on the Internet and go to the store, so you can get lower prices. But if you, you're trying to get out of debt, of course, that's when you really want to um, develop that, uh, that saving money. One of the ways is you start deleting everything you just don't need and you don't use. I have a friend that she works really hard, long hours. She's a doctor. 
she realized she hadn't used her cable for like four months. She's like, what am I paying for this for? So she cut that yes. out. Yes. But you yeah. can cut out all sorts of things that you don't use, you don't need. Okay, sometimes people are paying monthly for something that they don't even know they're paying monthly for because they just, on a whim, said, oh, I'd like to have that. And the payments are being charged on their credit card, and they just haven't, I just haven't gotten around to canceling that. Cancel it. Go through your credit card. Make sure you cancel everything. you got to have a credit card, at least one. And you got to have a credit card because when you rent a car or stay in yeah. a hotel, they want a credit yeah. card. I mean, you mm-hmm. can uh, sign up with uh, um, send a check for your first night, and that, of course, secures that night um, better than a credit card, but they want a credit card to put on file because <laughs> in case you walk out they can, or you don't come back, they can charge your, your stay. Um, right. But, uh, and, and I was in line, and I was out of town, and there was a couple in front of me, and they had won a, a, through a radio show, they won the trip to that city, and um, they also got them a, a rental car and, and plane tickets and everything. And the man says, uh, I need a credit card. And she says, we don't have a credit card. And I'm like, that's really unusual. They don't even own a credit card. But they didn't. They said, we don't have one. He says, you have to have a credit card. So he said, well, <clears throat> she said, well, let's think about this. So they, they were going to call the station, I guess, and the radio station where they won the the package. And uh, so he waited on me. I don't know what he did with them, but they were out of town. <laughs> but you do have to have a credit card, at least one. Um, uh, probably a couple are good, put one away. But um, you can uh, – there's all sorts of things when you do your inventory <laughs> – of your credit cards, of, of your home. You can uh, stop paying for all kinds of things that you don't use. And then, of course, you want to get into mega uh, money. You can start selling off stuff you don't need. You know, some people have rooms full of furniture they don't need. They have rooms full of items they um, can get rid of, and they could sell at a garage sale. I had a friend that uh, sold uh, $2,000 worth of stuff out of her house. She wanted to declutter. She was just decluttering. She wasn't even mm-hmm. thinking about the amount of money she could get from it, and she was went through a divorce, and she went out there and put it outside, <laughs> sold sold it for two thousand dollars, and that that was a, a good little sum for her to put on her credit card. But um, the the thing is, debt snowballs, so you need to stop charging. Yeah, because you're gonna pay interest, and the interest the interest is generally gonna go up the longer you have that debt on your credit card. My grandmother was really good right. at paying off. She said, if I can't pay it off within 30 days, I can't put it on my card. You, you, the longer that debt stays, that balance is there, they're gonna, right. that interest is going to start ticking ticking up. So that's another thing. Um, that's it, You don't want to just say I have a $10,000 uh, max on my credit card and then, Go drive yourself all the way up to that ten thousand. No. How much? How much can you afford? It's not your money. It's the bank's money. Right. A credit card is 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 just tell yourself this is a loan. Then don't and don't tell yourself anything else because you gotta you have to pay it back. And again, you could start with low interest, an introductory credit card interest rate. It's not gonna stay there. Teaser rate. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they call it's not it. Gonna stay, it's not gonna stay there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, be 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 mindful when you're doing these things. Now, you, we've got a little less than 15 minutes. You talked about, and you, I will hear a lot of people when they start talking money. This is one thing I heard recently. They said that people who are like middle class, they try to grow their wealth through buying property, real estate, maybe houses and different things. But the truly wealthy invest. They get on, they get on the and, – and, and Tony Robbins, Anthony Robbins is starting to give like uh, trainings on more on investments. He's known more for the, um, the mind, you can do it type of thing, how the mind works and how you can achieve your goals. But he's getting more into the investments. How much education – you said you do this, and you, 
it sounds like you taught yourself, but how much education should a because one thing I want to say before we go into talking anything about investments, you can lose everything you have very, very quickly if you don't know what you're doing. There's no guarantees. Anybody who gives you a guarantee in investments and tells you, you give me $500, I can make sure it grows 12% every month, I guarantee it, run, get away from that person because there are no guarantees with it. But how much education should a person get and what type of education? Should they get a Series 6, a Series 7, a Series 6, 63, just to learn more about how stocks and bonds, how the market works. But how much education should they get before they start trading on a stock market on their own? Well, this is the thing. Um, Middle-class people do all sorts of different things. They're all different. Rich people do all sorts of different things. They're all different. Okay. Um, One thing uh, that most people do is the first thing they invest in is their education. If they do it right, they'll have money to live off when they get a job. If they do it wrong and get laced with heavily, heavily laced with student loans, they will have no money to live off (laughs) or barely enough. They have to live at home to pay those student loans. So you can stop everything by doing the wrong wrong, uh, financial decision right out of the gate. Okay, so you got to, first of all, get educated right so that you can get a job. Some people get good jobs by just working out of high school and working their way up on a job. They have a, a good personality, and their boss likes them. They can put them into training programs. And uh, some people, their jobs will send them back to college. Uh, I know uh, I have about three or four friends that after college and they worked for a while, their jobs uh, paid for them to get a master's degree so they didn't have to go into debt. And then that's number one for anybody. Uh, rich people have – most rich people haven't always been rich, okay? So then um, number two is to get into a good house, an affordable home, because a home is an investment over time. An investment is something that happens over time. It doesn't happen real quick. I mean, you see these flippers out here? Uh, a lot of them will – get uh borrow money from an investor and then they have to split the money in half and then uh, when they uh finish and then they have to pay short term capital gains taxes when they sell and get that on their half so they're not making as much money as is and then some of them they run into more problems than they ever dreamed of flipping the house and their their costs were so high that they didn't make that much money when all is said and done it's very little so um, homes uh, generally, uh, you have to have a lot of expertise and know how to do a lot of um, uh, carpentry and different types of, of uh, trades to do well in that. But the best uh, home you can, ha- the best investment you can have, of course, your education or moving your way up on a job. Or because I know if, I have a few friends that move their way up on a job out of high school and their job sent them back to college. And they end up doing quite well. One of them didn't even go to college, and she retired at seventy thousand. But um, those are people who have personality plus, or they know how to. Um, they're very, very uh, experienced with dealing with people, lots of different people, and doing what their boss says, tells them to do, and taking all the extra classes at at work. And but okay, so your your job, then your home. And then you might um, rent it. Now, after people get their home, then they say, well, I want to make a lot of money on a rental property. Well, some do and some don't. After, you, after 40 years, you sell it, you'll, you may get you know, a, a good return. But then if you didn't deduct your time and you didn't deduct um, as if you were paying yourself, you didn't deduct because you don't get all the money back that you put into that rental property. If you don't deduct the lost rents, and the, all the maintenance, uh, you know, you make $100,000 on a house after 30 years, a rental property, and you may only be making 10000 if you deducted everything, <laughs> you know. So it's like a headache where you were saving money uh, through that rental property. Money you put in is just money you got back. But, um, okay, so your own home. Now I own uh, my main house, and then I own uh, a farm and a farmhouse, and then I own another house. That uh, and and that I bought that with my husband. We decided to get that other the farm and the farmhouse because 
town was moving out there. First of all, it's a pine tree farm, so we make money off the pine trees, and then we lease part of it to a farmer and then um, for soybeans, and then we um, we put a house on it, and so we'll be able to sell that uh, after a while. I mean, we could sell it now and make a profit, but also I liked it because town was moving in that direction, so that's where you get your big uh, swings in, in price. And... Um, so and then of course I uh, when real estate was at the very bottom during the recession um mm. when Bush was in office everything went sunk down to zero we bought a house that was near not far from a marina and it was in northern california it was 158,000 and now it's at a solid 500,000 and we have people writing us every day to buy that house which because they're developing the marina and doing some other things around there that prices are going way up so that was affordable for me. That was affordable for us. It was easy for us to get. We got bought at the bottom. Most people go in and they get into the propaganda mode where uh, prices are up. You know, that's where people lost a lot of uh, homes during, uh, when prices went way up, when people were using those interest-only loans and they didn't know uh, understand what those were. They're, for a $500,000 house, their payment started at $900 a month. And instead of saying, why is my payment so low for such an expensive house? Instead, they go, well, it must be okay because they're giving it to me. And then two to three years later, they mm-hmm. get a letter in the mail, and their their house payment goes up to 4000 <laughs> and they lose yep. the house. Yep. But, yep. but that's number two, um, just just your, um, your education or moving your way up on a good job and getting your main home, and then you invest – in your, you don't have to go back to school to learn investing. I have some great books. That's why I have my series, my Leverage Save Money series, because it starts with 68 Powerful Ways to Save is the first one. Then um, I have the one on getting out of debt, the 17 Amazing Ways. And then I have uh, the student loans that explain student loans to people, and, and a lot of people were really happy about that. They, I, I got a lot of positive feedback. They go, oh, now I know what the student loan thing is about and how people get into these big traps. And then, of course, mm-hmm. I have my Investing Insights book, which is a Leverage Save Money, Learn Investing from Stocks to Mutual Funds. And I, uh, you can get low-risk, low-cost mutual funds. They're just as, uh, uh, they're just as good. Uh, you, you're not going to um, – low-risk means your chances of losing money is low. Right. <laughs> and so when people talk about high risk in investing, they're talking about there's, – there's many, many different types of stocks. Okay, there's extremely high risk, high risk. Um, there's uh, the stocks that you just don't understand. Then there's, you know, there's the old dividend-paying companies uh, that are low risk. I have about eight stocks, and I, I own, and I own about 20 mutual funds. And I've had them all for, I've been investing for about 25 years, and I did it by learning, researching, talking to people who had been doing it for a long time. And at one time I got a license because I was going to go and I was going to um, to be a financial advisor, and I decided against it. I would be best be a money strategist and teach others the whole package because it's a whole package. Like you said, people get these um, propaganda uh, points uh through the media or through other people, you know, all, but as far as trading, trading, uh, when you see, uh, get this day trading software, that's, that's like flipping houses, but it's even more risky. <laughs> it's very risky because you're trying to guess um, <clears throat> when they day trade in and out of stocks. It's a good way to lose $100,000 fast. But if you just put $100,000 into a few mutual funds, a f- um, few dividend-paying stocks, in 20 years, you could easily have five or six hundred thousand dollars in low-risk products, and that's why. But you have to understand how to research good mutual funds, and nobody tells you that. I tell you that in my book, so that you'll know how to do that. But um, now, which I also which one of your give, books? Uh, pardon. We, we we've got like le- about a minute left. Which one okay, of your books? Okay. Well, I just want to. Which pardon? one of your books teaches? Which one of your books offers the advice on the on the investments? Because you well, have it's, several it's books real in your clear. Um, it's the uh, Leverage Save Money Learn Investing from Stocks to Mutual Fund Research in 47 Wonderful Ways. But what they can do is go to my website, MsFinancialSavvy.com, and I offer a discovery session. 
to see if I could help them directly. They could uh, make an appointment with me. Just click the link on the right at um, it's Lois Shabazz uh, at uh, dot acuity uh, dot com, and um, that's the website where I have a calendar, and they can make an appointment and get a book on a discovery session with me, and I can talk about uh, getting into my money my mega money management program. Um, and of course, when they type in leverage save money. They will see my uh, or my name, Lois Center Shabazz, and Amazon. They'll see all my books. And but um, I, I um, recommend, I highly encourage uh, booking a discovery session with me, and they can um, we can go through um, how I can help them. Okay, make the right we, decisions. We, you have so much to share, and it's obvious. Not just from it's from your personal experience, things you've done and tried yourself, not something that you, you, you've learned, heard somebody else say, and you're just repeating what they say, which is which is a good thing. Uh, investments is a good way to grow wealth, but I tell anybody there are no guarantees. You don't ever want to work with somebody. Uh, there's a show that you come on CNBC called American Greed. How many people lost everything? I mean, their entire life savings. And some people lost, saved years to with save fake, hundreds with of fake thousands. people. And they lost, people. Yeah, they lost most it. They lost it all to a Ponzi right. scheme. Somebody right. telling them we we guarantee we can get you. And these are very intelligent people who fell for this stuff, and they're right. embarrassed that they fell for it. So when people tell you they can guarantee something when it comes to investments, run. <laughs> well, don't don't deal with don't deal with individual people. I tell people you only deal with major companies. There's many major companies. That you can yes. deal with. So yeah, um, those nobody, people are getting involved with individuals, and that's the problem. And, but there are there also are scam businesses. Scam biz. There's some businesses right. that are set up like Ponzi schemes. But the thing is, anybody who tells you they can guarantee you a return on 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 an investment, that is impossible. There is no reputable firm that would ever tell you that. They will always tell right. you when you're buying or selling that there are risks. There are no guarantees. And if anybody promises you a guarantee, I'm telling you, head for the hills. Run. You could lose everything. You could gain a lot. There are no guarantees. Well, what we they do think- a lot is they'll what they do a lot is they'll go to, when you know it's a fake company, they'll go to uh, elderly people and they'll tell them, okay, you can invest on our second mortgages second trustees and we'll pay you an interest rate of 15%. It's a fake person, a fake company, a fake interest rate. Or um, one man set up a bank in the in Antigua. It was a big bank and he sent out information all over the world that he offered CDs for 12%. Well, all the other CDs were paying at that time I think 5 or 6%. So people jumped on it, but they, it was fake. It was a fake bank. He was fake. Uh, fake CDs. He was just keeping the money uh, when he the money came in the bank. He's in prison now, but um, that's why it's it, and that was a foreign bank, and that's why it's important to deal with major, major, big companies. Um, there are many of them: T. Rowe Price, Fidelity, Charles Schwab. Those are all reputable companies, and you can in, get into low risk investments. You don't have to worry about all that guaranteed stuff. Nobody's going to guarantee you anything. When you're in low-risk investments, it's like buying a home. Nobody's going to guarantee you're going to buy a good home. That's why you get a, a plumber, an electrician, and a carpenter. to You pay them $50 to go and do an inspection and see if there's any major problems, especially if it's an old home. you got to check that home for mold because you could lose it. I know one person who lost a whole home because they bought a home that had mold in it. And so um, – there's no guarantee. You know, people are going to college and they're not getting jobs because they're going to the wrong college, getting the wrong amount yeah. of money <laughs> and the, uh. the wrong degree, an obsolete degree, because they have these obsolete degrees out there that don't get them a job. So nothing if, if, with anything is guaranteed. But I'm just uh, saying that I do deal with um, you, you, you have to start somewhere. You have to start with money management. You have to start with um, getting a, a decent job and saving money for a home, getting an affordable car. Then you uh, start putting money into uh, your 401k plan, but you've got to know what that means. You have to know what those investments are in there. Otherwise, people, I know people who put money in, the, in a money market account because they don't know what any of the mutual funds are, and there are good mutual funds in there. 
and they could end up retiring with uh, an extra 30000 in there, or they could retire with 300000 if they choose the right investments over 30 years. But it's all about uh, doing your research, uh, talking to the right people, getting the right information. You know, then you move on to a home, then you move on to uh, your uh, savings and your uh, extra investment accounts. And we're not talking about complicated stuff. You know, I'm just talking about the... I, I can tell you, Dr. Dr. Lois Shabazz, this is a this topic we could this you this is a topic you could talk about on a show every single week. It's that important, and when you right. just just the student loans alone, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and they 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 have what they call predatory lenders. They know the mm-hmm. communities to target. They know where they people. And it's not based on race. It's based generally on demographic where they feel like it could be in a rural area, an urban area. Exactly. Where they feel like these, these people don't have that. We don't think these people know any better. Mm-hmm. And these are the shopping trends. These are the trends they have with money management. Let's go get them. <laughs> exactly. So, so be be very careful. This is a topic that we could go on and on and on about. I encourage you to check out. Dr. Lois Center Shabazz, her work, her books, again, and she's at MissFinancialSavvy.com, M-S-F-I-N-A-N-C-I-A-L-S-A-B-V-Y.com, and educate yourself, educate yourself about finances, predatory lenders, looking out for scams, you can just, the IRS scams, there are all types of scams, look, educate yourself on those and just predatory lending, signs of a predatory lender, so you can avoid those things. And then ways to grow your savings and your wealth, and don't get suckered into every ad like you have to buy it. There's a lot of psychology behind ads. And so you, you as Dr. Lois, uh, Senator Shabazz said, you're the one who's the decider of what you're going to do with your money. Nobody else can make that decision for you. So we want to thank Dr. Lois, Senator Shabazz, for being here with us on Off the Shelf this morning and encourage you to educate yourself and check her out again online at MissFinancialSavvy.com, M-S-F-I-N-A-N-C-I-A-L. S-A-V-V-Y dot com. We want to encourage you to come back next Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or New York City Time where we will bring you another awesome guest. And, again, I do hope that you will educate yourself financially and support Dr. Lois Center Shabazz. Remember, you are incredible. You're awesome. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. And remember to set your clock for it an hour this weekend. It's Daylight Savings Time weekend. See you back here next Saturday, 11 a.m. Dr. Lois Shabazz, I'll send you an email. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye-bye.